All right. Hey, guys. So as Dave said, my name's Riley. It is a great pleasure to be standing here and preaching. Um, a year ago, I definitely would have never thought I'd be up here. Um, every time as I kept on planning this message, I kept on going, why doesn't Dave just do it? Like every time I was like, just get him to do it. It'll be he's better. Uh, but he made me do it. Well, he asked me to do it. And so you've got me today. Uh, and I thought oh, I better dress up. But it's summer and I'm nervous, so it's going to get a bit messy. I might get a bit sweaty. So just bear with me in that. And I actually left my glass of water up on the sound desk. So if that's my sister-in-law, give Phoebe a clap. She's going to grab it for me. Alrighty. Um, it's very clear, very clear that God is already doing something here today. Um, I almost feel as though, well, another reason why I just could sit down. Because, uh, man, you know... Working in prayer, working in worship. What Joel said up here from the front is like five minutes of my sermon, so you're going to hear that again. So clearly the Lord is using us today, and that's an encouragement. That's very good. So I'm going to pray, then we're going to read God's Word and get stuck into it. Man, Almighty Lord God, it is such a privilege and an honour to worship you, to find our joy in you, to find our hope in you. You are the great King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Prince of peace, full of mercy, full of kindness, full of compassion. Today, now, as we open your word, change our hearts. For We thank you that you've already ministered to some people. May you minister to the rest of us. May you minister to me. Give me the ability to speak clearly um, and interestingly. May your word have power. May it reap um, a great harvest this morning. Lord, you know the sin. You know the darkness in our hearts. You know our doubt. You know our disbelief. Please help us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you'd like to open up your Bibles, please. We're going to be reading from Psalm 92. Psalm 92. And it's actually entitled A Song for the Sabbath. It's actually a song for the people of God to sing together as they meet together. So it's very fitting that we're singing it this morning. Um, I don't think it's really heaps of people's favourite psalm. I've never spoken to someone like, oh, Psalm 92 is my favourite. But it is the Word of God and it's here to inspire us, to teach us and to lead us to Him. So let's have a read. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your works. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this. That though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. 
But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. All right, so I want to open by asking two questions. As we begin New Year 2014, what do you love? What do you find joy in? What are you seeking in life? Uh, What do you follow on Facebook or Instagram or Pinterest? You know, what kind of captures your attention? What gets you excited? That's the first question. What do you love? What do you find joy in? The second question is, what do you put your hope in? What are you hoping for in 2014? 2014. Uh, When you think about the end of your life, what do you want it to look like? Your eternity, what do you want it to look like? What are you hoping in? Today we're going to see that this psalm teaches us that it is good to worship God because he is our source of joy and he is our true source of hope. It is good to worship God because he's the only true source of joy and hope. That's the main idea that we're going to pull out of this psalm this morning. Now, obviously, there are many different types of joy that you can get in this world uh, and many different sources of hope. Just watch Oprah. People have joy and hope about all types of things and get inspiration. But we're going to see today that God is the only true source of both of these. The only true source of both of these. So if you look at the structure of the psalm, if you check it out, there's 15 verses. The first five verses kind of talk about the joy we can have in God. The, the last three or four verses, verses 12 to 15, talk about the hope we can have in God. And the middle chunk, the middle section that a lot of people actually skip over when they're doing sermons, shows us why God is the only true source of both of those things. So we've got joy, hope, and the reason why God is the true source right in the middle. So as this year begins, as we look forward to 2014, where are you going to turn this year for satisfaction? Where are you going to turn this year for sustenance? What's going to get you through? And what's going to give you joy? Three main points today. First one, how to find joy in God. Verses 1 to 5. Second one, verses 6 to 11, the false joy and false hope of being short-sighted. And the third point, verses 12 to 15, the true joy and true hope of being long-sighted. All right, so let's jump into the actual text and let's just kind of walk through the first five verses, how to find joy in God. So have a look down, verse 1, it's kind of, it starts with a bang. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. 
The psalm kind of erupts with thanksgiving. It erupts with joy. It kind of explodes out of the psalmist's mouth. You know, it's Sunday. The people of God, they're heading to the temple. He's excited. They're passionate. Verse 2, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. He's so excited. He's like, I'm going to wake up early. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to go to bed praising him. And all day, I'm going to praise the Lord. Then verse 3, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. Now he's really amping up. He's getting so excited. He's going, Joel, get on the guitar. Ali, smash it out. Dave, get on the drums. Let's get the music. Let's praise the Lord. He's getting really excited. And so why is he so pumped up? Why is he, as CJ Mahaney, the kind of the leader of Sovereign Grace, what's he all lathered up about? Well, verse 4 to 5. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. He's primed for worship because he's been thinking about God. This scripture is telling us that we can find our joy in God. But that's very broad and very obvious. It's very clear. Okay, it's good to worship God. But how do we go about doing that? How do we go about cultivating joy in our life? How are you going to cultivate joy in the Lord in 2014? Well, from this psalm, firstly, I think we need to understand this simple truth. It is good to worship God. It is good for us in the sense that it's delightful, it's enjoyable, it's actually good for our soul, it's natural for us to want to worship God. See, if you go to a football match, I see Matt's got a Western Sydney Wanderers shirt on, if you go to a Wanderers match, they joy, well maybe not joy, anger, rage, destruction, but they get into it, they love it. You go to a concert, um, you know, obviously I'm a passionate guy, but I go to a concert, I go to a band called Foles, I'm listening to the music, the music's throbbing, it's better live than it was on the CD, everyone's getting gnarly, and I just want to take my shirt off. And so all my mates, we just ripped our shirt off, and we're dancing, because it was natural, it would have been wrong for us to keep, maybe it wouldn't have, but you know what I mean, right? It's natural, it's good, it brings delight. If you hold down joy for God, you'll get sick, it hurts you. It is good. It's like a feast. It's like good food. When you go out and eat good food, you taste, you go, oh my goodness, how good is the gravy? How good is the pork? The lamb. The lamb. I love lamb. You know, we just, it's wrong if we go to someone's house and we don't give thanks for the food. And so it's good for us in the sense that it brings delight to us. It is good to give thanks. It is good to thank God. It is good to thank God for movies and music and sex and love and romance and coffee and, I don't know, anything else you can think of that is good and righteous. It is good for your soul to thank him. It is good to sing praises to his name, the psalm says. Not only is it good to thank him, but it's good to sing. The Lord has kind of designed us to be singing people. He wrote 150 psalms. You know, he instructed the people of God to sing. And that's why it's awesome to meet together and sing for 40 minutes as a church, because it's good for us. It delights us. But it's also good for us in the sense, like like it's good for us in the medicine kind of way, or like nutritious food. It is good for your soul to rejoice in the Lord. Now, these are divinely inspired words. And Joel's already touched on the fact that sometimes we're just not there. 
But these words are here in the scriptures to teach you to think differently. You see, worship and enjoyment of God is not just for charismatic panties or people that like to put their hands in the air. Worship is for all believers. Enjoyment of God is all for all believers. Giving thanks is for everyone who proclaims the name of Jesus. Singing praises is, you know, should be the song of every believer. But depending on your personality and your circumstance, as Joel said, you'll have differing reactions to this. Some of us who are pumped up will be like, duh, of course it's good to praise God. Thinking like Alex Shaw, you know, like, come on, you've got to praise God. That's what we do all day, every day. Woo! You know, that's him. But some of us, you know, have different personality types or different circumstances. And maybe it's just not naturally pouring out of you today. Maybe it's just not bubbling out of you. Oh, how good is the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to his name. Is this you this morning? We've already seen, we've already seen prayers happening, but is it you this morning that, yeah, it's good, I know it's meant to be good, but I'm just not, I'm not feeling it, so I'm not going to do it. Now, don't get me wrong, everyone has different personality types, okay? So not everyone has to have arms in the air, tears in their eyes, you know, belting it out for Jesus. Sometimes true worship looks like silence before the Lord. That's true worship, can be silence. But for those of you who just aren't there, who this year hasn't gone as well or last year wasn't what you wanted it to be, let the word of God correct you right now. Let the word of God speak into your life. The word says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord. It is good to sing praises to your name. Let the word of God teach you how to think, no matter your circumstance. You see, like, when I get tired or angry or frustrated or upset, first thing to go is my enjoyment, my worship of God, my love of him. Um, I've just been on 10 days of mission up in Foster. We've been seeing people saved. We've been meeting together with 85 Christians every day, praising. It's been awesome. I've been like, yes, how good is that? But on the way home, in the car with Maddie, and we were tired, we were frustrated, and I don't know what we thought about, but we were getting angry, I was getting frustrated, so much, I'm just like, I'm going to go to the bathroom, I'm going, I walked away. And as I was walking, I was frustrated, I think, ah, and my thought, the thought came into my head, it is good to give thanks to the Lord. And what I've been doing is, since preparing this message is actually kind of having a bit of a mantra, not like any spooky stuff, but just letting the Word of God teach me. No matter my circumstance, it is good. Riley, it is good. It is good. It is good to worship. It is good. And I just tell my... Because my natural self will not want to worship when I'm being sinful. But the Word of God teaches us we need to think differently. So if that's where you are, Let the word of God change you. Let the word of God shape you. It is good. Not is it good, but it is good. So that's the first kind of idea. The first thing we need to understand, very clear, it is good to worship God. Okay. But the second thing I think I want to get out of this psalm is this, that we need to be fueled by certain things in our worship of God. So... 
I want to ask you this question. You know, what is it that fuels your worship? What is it that causes you to be joyful in God? Just think about that for a second. What is it that causes me to be joyful? What actually fuels my worship? Now, if primarily it's sweet riffs by Hillsong, breakdowns of the music, the aroma of coffee, um, you know, good circumstance, getting a Christmas bonus, if that's when you're praising the Lord, the Lord has something to teach us. You see, the psalmist has two major things that fuels his fire. If you think of like a bonfire when you go camping, there's always that psycho kid that just wants to pour all the crazy stuff on, like petrol, yes, you know, plastic, yes, leaves, yes, and the fire goes up, but it soon fades. We want to put logs on, slow-burning logs, so that our fire, our worship of the Lord is fueled through the thick and the thin, through the good times and the bad. So what are the two logs that the psalmist is going to chuck on our fire? Well, the first one is God's character, who he is. Our worship of God is to be fueled by meditating on God's good character. Check out verse 2. To declare your steadfast love in the morning, your faithfulness by night. It's talking about God's covenantal, faithful character, that he loves his people and he holds fast to them. Imagine the opposite. Imagine if you went to bed tonight not knowing if God would let you into heaven tomorrow morning. How horrible would that be? How scary would that be? But we can praise God and declare to him that he is a faithful God and that brings glory to him. Or verse 5, your thoughts are very deep. Our God ultimately is incomprehensible. We can never box him up. Even probably for all of eternity, we will never get to the depths of the knowledge of God. Praise him for that. Verse 8, but you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. God is eternal and he reigns eternally. His very nature is to be king. Verse 15, The Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no unrighteousness in him. Our God not only is eternal, not only is king, not only is faithful, but he is holy. It's his very nature, his very essence. He's separate. He's perfect. He's pure. He's blameless. Thinking upon the attributes of God, the character of God, will fuel your worship for him. If you don't know all those terms, you don't know all those things, you don't know much about the character of God, then study him. Study him in the Word. Get a good book like uh, Wayne Grudem's Bible Doctrine. Get anything on the doctrine of God and study him so that you can put on big, hefty logs and have a fueled worship. Okay, so that's his character. The second thing the psalmist kind of talks about is his works or what he has done. Check out verse 4. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your works. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. Uh, the, Holman Christian trans- the Holman Bible actually translates it, I shout for joy. So the psalmist actually looks and thinks about all that God has done and shouts. He exclaims, you know, kind of like when there's a good part in the song and we all go, you know, like the big clap thing, that weird, yeah, like that. He's doing that because of what God has done. 
Now, the Old Testament guys, you know, the Jewish people singing this psalm would have been thinking, creation of the world, covenant with Abraham, that God's a promise keeper, he's a creator, the exodus, you know, going through the Red Sea, being taken out of slavery, the conquest of the promised land. They would have been going, whoa, God, you are amazing. But don't we have so much more to thank God for? Don't we have so much more, so many more works to look at? We can look at the Son, Jesus Christ. His work of perfect holiness on earth. His sacrificial death. The power of his resurrection. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The absolute forgiveness of all of your sin, all of my sin. And if we meditate upon those works, we will sing for joy. And we do as a church often sing for joy. So let's open our eyes and see all that God has done and all whom God is. And let that fuel our worship. Let that stoke our fire. So how do we find joy in God? Well, two things we can get from this psalm. We need to understand it's good to praise him. It's delightful and it's like medicinal. And secondly, our our worship needs to be fueled by the deep things of God. But this kind of life, this kind of joy, this kind of worship doesn't come naturally or easily. Well, not for most anyway, not for me. It requires faith, it requires hard work, it requires effort. And if I'm honest, and if you're honest perhaps with yourself, if at times we're a bit short-sighted, we look for cheap thrills, We can find joy and hope elsewhere. So here we come to the second point. Verse 6 to to 11. The false joy and false hope of being short-sighted. There's a big kind of contrast, a big change in where the psalm is going. It goes from, woo, you know, come on, let's go, praise the Lord, to verse 6. Let's have a look. The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this. That though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. It's almost as if the psalmist is kind of, he knows our hearts, he knows my heart, he knows that. Yeah, I love worshipping God, and I I affirm that, I know that, but I know that if I leave here, I'm just going to go on Facebook and find cheap thrills. I'm just going to go home and think more about coffee or having a beer or whatever it is than delighting in him. And so he brings in another character into into the play. He brings in the fool. Now, the fool is not necessarily a stupid person, like, oh, you know, that guy. The fool... The fool is the one who says, there is no God. Psalm 14.1 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And the psalmist brings in this contrast to try and help us see, yeah, worship is good, you know, because we tend towards going, yeah, worship is good, but what about other ways of finding joy? 
But you see, this fool, this person looks on and he sees that there's true joy to be found in God, yet he doesn't really take it to heart. Instead, he looks around for other joys. He sees the wicked. He sees those who don't follow God and he goes, oh, their life looks pretty good. They're doing pretty well. Look how prosperous they are. Look at verse 7 again. The wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish. You know, they're sprouting up everywhere. They're looking lush. They're looking nice. They're looking green. And let's not look down on the fool too quickly because I can play the fool at times and you probably can as well. It's very easy for us to take to walk out of the church and to drive through the nice suburbs here and go, oh, there's flourishing going on. Where's God? Look at their life. And as you go through different stages of life, what you think flourishing is will change. So if you're a teenager here or a young adult, you're at uni, you might be thinking flourishing equals awesome parties, you know, attractive men and women, Sex, drugs, alcohol, booze, whatever it is. You might be thinking, that is flourishing. Look at them. They get to give in to unholiness. They get to give in and do whatever they want. How good is that? I wish I could just do that. They're flourishing. They're prospering. Or maybe it's not like that for you. Maybe it's other things if you're young. But as I've grown older, those things become less attractive. As I get a, I've got a child, little Evie. I've got a wife, Maddie. I've got a full-time job now. And I look around and... You know, and you probably do the same thing. And we see, oh, look at that person's job. Look at the power they have in that job. Look at the respect they have. Look at the money they have. The wealth. The security. They're flourishing. Or maybe as a mom, you might look at other moms and go, oh, look at all the opportunities those children have. I wish... I need to provide that for them. I wish I could get my kids into dance, drama, you know, whatever it is. And we can see all the stuff they have, the new house, the new pool, the new car, the new clothes, nice food, nice drink, well-behaved kids, a private school education, a trust fund and a holiday home. And we can go, I'm getting itchy for some greener grass. I wonder, I don't know what it is for you, but what are you itchy for? What greener grass are you looking for? It's easy for us to think, yeah, it's good to worship God, but it's better to have heaps of stuff. It's good to worship God, but it's better to give in and do whatever I want whenever I want. There's a war for your heart, and the psalmist knows it, and God knows it. And that's why God put these verses in here. To protect you. To protect me. Let's look at the verse again. The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand. Okay, what can the fool not understand? That though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. They are doomed to destruction Forever. The grass may look greener, but in all reality, the grass ain't that good. 
You see, the fool is short-sighted. The fool sees the quick fix, the cheap thrill. Oh, if I just give up on God, I can get much more. The grass is greener on the other side. But he does not see the end game. You know, if you think about the analogy of grass, like the word picture, uh, grass, you know, springs up quickly. Uh, it takes a little amount of water and it grows and it's nice and it's lush. And, you know, I used to love mowing the lawns at my parents' place because it's kind of that sense of joy when you see just clean-cut grass. And I don't know if you're a freak like me, but I looked at them and go, oh, yes, how beautiful is grass. Or I went to Sydney Uni where Mike Thompson is a lecturer and the lawns at Sydney Uni, if you're a grass lover, you've got to go check them out. But there's probably no one here. But in all reality, no one you know, sees on brochures, come check out our grass. You know, no Tourism Australia says, you know, where the bloody hell are you? Come check out our grass. It's, you know, grass is not that good. Yeah, grass is nice and lush, but it's not that impressive. Come see the Opera House or the Harbour Bridge or the forests or, you know, the beaches or Bondi, whatever. But, you know, the grass at Sydney Uni is not really up there. But even more than that, grass isn't that beautiful because when it grows too much, it starts to look like, Weeds. And even more than that, although grass springs up quickly, grows lush and looks nice, take water away from it for a week, it starts to fade. Two weeks, it starts to dry up. Three weeks, it starts to burn. Four weeks, it's dead. The life of the wicked that we are prone to envying is short-lived. Its joys are great, springs up quickly, flourishes, but it soon diminishes. Um, An old preacher, Charles Spurgeon, once said it like this, they grow to die, they blossom to be blasted, they flower for a short space to wither without end. And if that, you know, if that's not even enough of an imperative, they are doomed to destruction forever. Forever. Just let the verse, let the word of God sink in there. They are doomed to destruction forever. Eternal damnation. Eternal torment for those who live outside of God's love, outside of his family, spring up like grass, destroyed forever. And maybe this is a bit of a wake-up call for you. Maybe God has brought you here this morning to read the scriptures, to wake you up, to slap you in the face, to pour a bucket of cold water on you because you are starting to chomp on some green grass. You're starting to look over the fence, starting to see, oh, the grass is greener. Uh, What should I do with my life? Should I live holy? Should I be righteous? Should I be, you know, the way God wants me to be? Or should I start cheating on business deals? Should I start cheating on my tax? Should I start or stop going to church? Whatever, whatever wickedness is for you, whatever you're tempted in, God is saying this, wake up. Do you really want to go there? Because if you do, you'll flourish. But you will be destroyed forever. 
There is no true joy in wickedness. There is no true hope in evil. It's a false promise. It'll sell you short. And your heart knows it. So turn to the Lord. Turn to Jesus. If you cut yourself off from him, you'll be like a rose chopped from the stem. You'll look good for a while. Your life will flourish for a while. You know, you give, we give roses. They look good. A dozen of them, beautiful. A week or two later, they're rotting. So that's the second point. The false promise, the false joy and false hope of being short-sighted. So final point, what does it look like, you know, third and final point, what does it look like to be long-sighted? What does it mean to see the end game? If we remain faithful to God, if we choose to follow him, he has a promise for us. A different word picture, a different idea. So let's have a look at verse 12 to 15 and see what that is. It's awesome. It's a beautiful picture. Another type of flourishing. Have a look at verse 12. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. True joy, true hope are found in God alone. Think about the word picture that we have here. We have, I mean, it's, I had to research this. I didn't know anything about palm trees or cedars. I had to look up a picture and I, I didn't get them up for you. I'm sorry. But I wanted to know what it looked like so I understood what he was talking about. Okay, so the palm tree, think of desert and oasis. Think of the palm, like the one palm tree in the middle of the desert. The palm tree grows in harsh conditions. It has deep Roots, no matter kind of what happens in the desert, it still thrives. It grows up nice and tall. Its leaves and branches are nice and wide. It's a strong tree. Even in the hardest of circumstances, it produces sweet fruit. And that can be a bit like us. The hardest of circumstances. But if you trust in the Lord, you will prosper like the palm tree in the desert. Well, the second image is that of the cedar, the cedar of Lebanon. That's like the, the best tree of the time, you know, the mahogany. You know, it's like that idea of, oh, if there's a tree we're going to cut down and use, it's the cedar. The temple of the Lord was built by, you know, cedar trees. The lumber that was used for the most holy place was cedar wood. And God's saying, if you trust in me, you'll be like the cedar. Beautiful stately, glorious, strong. You know, the cedar grows on the mountain top. So you've got the desert, and you've got the mountain, you've got the harsh circumstance, you've got the lush circumstance. Those who trust in the Lord are like those two trees. And verse 14 says, they are ever full of sap. They are ever full of sap. 
they still bear fruit in old age. That's God's word to you, to me. If you trust in him, to the day you die, you will still bear fruit in old age. You know, you may not have a mansion, you may not have a Rolls Royce, you may not have sent your kids to Barker College, which is a quality education, that's where I teach. (laughs) But you will bear good fruit. You will be ever full of sap and life if you're connected to the life source. Or a modern illustration... You are like the self-funding retirement investment account that does not lose income even through the GFC. You know, that type of idea. Always flourishing, always prospering. But even better, even better than flourishing and prospering, look where you are planted. Verse 13. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. Brothers and sisters, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are in the presence of God. You are planted. He actually plants you. You don't plant yourself. The idea of the psalm says he plants you in the temple of God. We are planted. We are the recipient of grace. We are the recipient of mercy to be in God's presence forevermore. That's a beautiful image. But the question I have for you right now is, where are you planted? Where are you planted? What type of tree are you? Or are you grass? Do you have the long view or the short view? Has your heart been taken hostage by fickle and fleeting pleasures? Where are you planted? Ask yourself that question. Where am I planted? And by the grace of God, you'll be planted in the courts of his presence. If you're not a believer, you don't want to be with the wicked. You don't want to keep living that life anymore. Clearly the word of God tells you that is not going to end well for you. Come and ask the Lord to become a tree. rather than grass. But come and become a cedar. Come and become a date palm. Let the Lord plant you in his presence. So that in verse 15, you can do this eternally. Declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no unrighteousness in him. For us believers, if we're planted in the presence of of the Lord, we can say this song. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, on all other ground is sinking sand. This year, what are you going to find your joy in? What are you going to find your hope in? Where are you going to look for satisfaction and sustenance? How are you going to invest your life in 2014? How are you going to cultivate joy in the Lord? Are you going to be short-sighted or long-sighted? Because we need to take the long view, brothers and sisters. Yes, life may be difficult. Yes, we may go through hardship. Yes, you may lose a business contract. You may lose a sporting match. You may lose friends for the sake of Jesus Christ. But the Word of God says this. We will thrive. We will prosper. We will flourish, full of joy, full of hope, 
full of worship forever. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. Preach this to yourself, brothers and sisters. It is good. It is good. It is good. Let me pray. Lord God, you know my heart, you know everyone's heart in this room. You know whether or not we're looking for false joy and false hope. Please, Lord, by your mercy, by your grace, step into our life. Teach us to say it is good. Teach us to sing praises. Give us the grace of your Holy Spirit that we would overflow, that worship would bubble out of our hearts and out of our lives. And if there's anyone here today that is on the wrong path, that is on their way to destruction, Lord, please save them. Please have mercy on them. Please, Holy Spirit, change our hearts, change our lives. And we look forward to the glorious day when we see your Son return and we declare, the Lord is my rock. There is no unrighteousness in him. We praise you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.